Well, what we see here in 1 Corinthians 12, when you look at it, is that the body reflects Christ's unity. And early in verses 4 through 11, we see that Paul has um, empowered um, us and with various gifts, activities, and services. And all these things are the manifestations for the common good. And he goes into the list of faith, a uh, list of spiritual gifts, starting with the words of wisdom, of knowledge, and faith, and healing. And then he actually, if you noticed, if you look back in chapter 12, um, verse 10 and 11, that the last gift is tongues. And just to give a little context of what was going on in 1 Corinthians, the community was struggling with pride. And there were some in the community that they felt that their possession of certain grace gifts um, were somehow better than everyone else. And they had gotten arrogant and they gotten to see themselves as superior, uh, more superior than others. And so this came out in them acting more spiritual. So I wonder if Paul um, starts off his chapter really hitting on the fact, not on just the whole idea of how to use these gifts, but really just to say, hey, Corinthians, you have nothing to be prideful about because even though you have giftings, um, we're all in the same playing field. Look back at verses one through three. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You knew that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot here, but Paul was basically saying, hey, Corinthians, there was a time in which you were living like there was no God. You were living like pagans, and you had been led to idols that literally led to nowhere because idols have no power to save. And so, Corinthians, that's where I want you to understand you really know what's truly spiritual. What is truly spiritual and led by the Spirit is not just your giftings, but the fact that those of you who have followed and confessed Jesus as Lord, those of you who have put yourself gladly under the reign of King Jesus, and this is only possible, as the text says, in the Spirit. Paul is saying nobody, nobody in the spirit can rightfully say Jesus is accursed because if you're really led by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit cannot de deny himself. He can deny, not deny and tell lies and, and, and even accurse Jesus. You can't do that if you're in the spirit of God. And so when you think about it, all people here, Paul is saying that if you've come under the spirit, that means all Christians. There's no elite spiritual, spiritual SWAT team. There's no spiritual elite team, you know? There's no uh, Christian elite club. Um, no matter whether you've spoken in tongues or not, you are all, all on the same playing field, and it's basic. All you need to be able to do and enter into this relationship and into this work of the Spirit is confessing Jesus as your Lord. Look at verse 13. For in one spirit we were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so these distinctions, slave or free, Jews or Greek, it reminds us that God has broken down the enmity between Jews and Gentiles. There's no advanced gospel for the Jews. There's no gospel 3.0 for the Gentiles. We're all called by the same spirit, all called by the same God, redeemed by the same Jesus, 
predestined, loved, and called by our loving Father's gracious initiative. In the end, God does not differentiate between a slave versus a freedman, a Jewish rabbi or a Gentile from China or Africa or South America. He's called us all to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus because we were all on the same playing field. We were both alone and we were fallen. And it's really the spirit of God that has done a miraculous work in you that has brought you into the family of God. And I love that it's, Paul is drawing attention that it's the Spirit of God alone that brings us unity. Just as um, um, we've been preaching in our series, it's not us. It's not us who builds the church unity. Rather, we must pray to the God who is alone is the one who builds our unity through us pursuing one another. And God has pursued first and foremost our unity as a church. He has graciously pursued us through the gospel He has renewed us when we were dead in our transgressions. He made us alive. When we were alienated and lonely, he he drew near to us in love. Even when when he napped, even though we were messy and smelly sinners, he drew near to us and he drew us. Even when we were not drawn by his beauty and his grace, he awakened us to enjoy the gift of salvation that God has offered through his son, Jesus Christ the one who has died in our, in our place for sin, atoned for the wrath of God that fell on us because of our sin, tasted death and judgment, and then three days later rose again above it all from the cross. And he offers us new life when we repent of our sins and we turn and trust in King Jesus. And not only that, we trust in Christ, but also we become a part of his unity, his body called the church, And that's why the drinking of the Spirit, that's what it means. It says that we've all now enjoyed the blessings of the gift that the Spirit has given us. And we're called to move out into a lost community, being the hands and feet of Jesus to the fallen, the broken, and the hurting. And that's our mission, that the body is not just stationary, but we're on the move. We're not just called to sit here on our lazy boy recliners and uh, revel in our own unity and turn inward, but we're called to move as a body where King Jesus calls us to go. Now that's the vision, but where's the problem? The Corinthians remind us that we can destroy that unity. And if you look with me in verses 14 through 20, the first way that we can destroy this unity is through comparison. Look at verse 14 to, let's go to 17. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And so Paul first gives us this reminder that we're all a body, we're all members, but make it up of many parts. And we all need all the parts working together to be able to function. And he gives this picture of a foot saying to the hand uh, that since he's not a hand, I'm not like you, um, that doesn't make me a part of the body. 
In fact, he repeats it twice because maybe there were some people who were just really discouraged. They, they wished that they were like, uh, they were the eyes and yet they wanted to be the hands and feet. They wanted to be the ones that were actually going places, going out on mission, going on uh, to the unreached. And, and, and they, he just wants to drill it home. You're still a part of the body even if, if you're just an eye. And uh, Paul says, don't look, don't, the body does not just look like one eye, a bunch of eyes, or a bunch of hands. You are all uh, variously gifted and diversely gifted. Um, and you all have a part to play no matter where you stand in terms of your gifting. Um, during my sabbatical, my family was able to visit the Museum of Fine Arts in, in Houston. And on our way to the art exhibits, we passed by this, um, this area where it recorded everyone walking through the space. Exciting, right? Um, but, and then it would project it onto a big screen for everyone to see. So you're always excited about seeing yourself. Only the video did laughing because it would change us into like weird, um, wormy type of blobs of ourselves. Um, our arms would be like, you know, two or three times as long and, and look like something from The Incredibles and our, our necks would be curvy like a giraffe and our bodies would be like slithering around like amoeba. Um, or our bodies would be just blown up um, about three or four times our size. And it kind of struck me because that's what the body is not supposed to look like, right? If that, that's a deformed body, right? And we'd be laughing because that's not how our body functions. And that's kind of what Paul envisions the body. If each one of us were only had one gifting, we'd be like a, we'd be like a body or a head with two humongous eyes. Or we'll be a, a person. Can you imagine a person with a giant ear? Or like one foot? Um, my son likes to hop around in one foot. He's like, that's, and just pretend he's just like one foot in, in a little cardboard box. And just how funny that would be. Um, yeah, and so, but if you were that, where would your sense of smell be? If you were only an eye but not an ear. Or if you were only a head but not a nose. Can you imagine this working out? What if all of us had the gift of teaching? Then we would never get out of church. <laughs> what if everyone had the gift of tongues? Well, we would never be able to understand what anybody else is saying. Huh, what? What tongue was that? <laughs> what is that? Um, uh, and so... I just can't, I just love the fact that God has composed us with incredible diversity. In this room, I think there are just so many gifts that the Lord wants to use and, and cultivate and, and for you to build up the body of Christ. He loves you so much and he also loves you so much that he's given you these gifts as gifts to the body. And the Lord is speaking to each one of us today. Hey, you are gifted, um, not because you earned it, but because I love you and I want to give you these gifts so that you can be unified as a body, that you can be working together. Um, because that's what God saw as true and beautiful. Look at verses 18 through 20. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And when I was reading over this this week, what really stuck out to me was I never realized how God's gracious sovereignty and unity is emphasized here. God is a master designer, and he ordered each member, each one of you, as he chose. 
In fact, that's actually repeated in the next section that we'll see. But did you catch that? As he chose. Here in this body, whether an eye or foot or a hand or an ear, you are called to be a part of this body by God's sovereign will. And it just changes your perspective when you see that it's God who composed the body. You are truly loved by God, and this was the way he composed the body that each one of us all have a role to play. And so I think when we refuse or or resent the way that God has made us, maybe you just don't feel like you have all the upfront gifts or that you you can be totally free just to go evangelize to any single person on the street, Um, Or maybe maybe you just don't have the eyes of faith. Maybe you tend to be a little bit more pessimistic um, and and you don't have the words of faith. Or maybe you're just really wanting to have wisdom and you realize you don't really are gifted in that. And then you get discouraged because you want those gifts. And sometimes we resent the fact that God has made us the way we want us to be. And we doubt our place in the body. But I think when we do that, we give up so much joy being the person that God has called you to be because we spend so much time idolizing someone else's gifts and wishing that we were someone else. We spend our time comparing ourselves to one another and instead of meditating how God has us in the body, meditating on his grace that, that, that God has put us in this body to serve her, we just spend a lot of time coveting other people's gifts. And I think that's not the way that that the Lord has really called us to be. We miss out on the joy of God because we're not focused that God has created you. He's created you as his workmanship to walk in those good works. And he's created every single one of the people in his body. And he's designed you to bring delight to not only Jesus, but he's called you to delight in the diversity that God has created so that you can delight in others. And so whatever gifts you have, You are a gift, and God has called you to use them. Um, The second way we destroy unity, and I'm just going to go really quick, verses 21 to 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving great, greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice um, together. And just like what I said, the Corinthians were struggling because they thought their revelatory gifts were the thing, and yet Paul was reminding them that you can have all these things. You can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but if you have not love, you have absolutely nothing. And Paul just gives these two common sense examples, and he says, that competition has no place in the body. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor to the head to the feet. And you just think about that. That would be absolutely inconceivable. How can you have an eye without a hand? Every part is indispensable. The eyes need the feet, even as the head needs the feet to send neural impulses to be able to walk. And, um, and what we see here is that the church 
um, does well to not just honor those who are stronger, but those who are weaker. And in fact, we give not just weaker, but the ones that do not call out for the intention, maybe gifts that we consider minor, or maybe things that we don't necessarily see um, as the upfront. And we do that on a practical level. We put protective coverings on our minor parts of the body, the fingers, the hands, the toes, and the feet. And to draw it out further, we put through great pains to treat the unpresentable private parts of our body more modestly than the, the so-called more honorable parts. And so Paul is just drawing the analogy here. You do well to not just honor the people that are up front, but those parts of the body that we seem as less um, important or the ones that naturally doesn't get the most attention. And I love this. Paul says in two, two reasons. First, he says, so that there may not be division in the body and that every single member would have care for one another. Um, I love that. If one suffers, then we can suffer together. And, and then if one rejoices and, has, um, and, and one uh, has success and grows together, then we all rejoice together. See, the Lord loves it when we're not competing with one another, but we're seeing that each other, we're trying to bring completeness to the body and we're delighting in others when they are honored. And so our hearts should be not so much like the Corinthians. They were saying, look at my giftings, look at how important they are, but rather that our hearts should be, man, I just want to build up the the, the, the church and for the glory of God, I just want to rejoice together in what brings the body of God joy. And so you see this person who is just knocking it out with his gifts of administration or, um, you know, uh, this, this couple who is serving in our kids' teams. I mean, man, they are just... They are just teaching with so much passion. Or wow, you know, Case and Blake, man, they are really knocking out the facilities week after week. You know, our hearts should not to be compete, competing with one another, but to just to rejoice in delight in how God is using us and how God is using us for the sake of his body. And I think that's where Paul just doesn't go after the prideful ones in chapter 12. Um, I think he had something more important for us to see, that as the body of Christ, we really need each other. And I think the scriptures teach us that instead of competition, that we are called to this interdependence. We saw it through Ken's testimony where he was down at the bottom of the barrel dealing with loneliness and homesickness and then God used the church to be able to speak life into him. Oh man, that is body life. And that's being dependent. And I wonder and I think to my heart, how can I be radically and desperately dependent on our church body, this local expression here, and also the greater body of Christ, delighting, not competing with one another, but loving one another, celebrating with them as they're as they cultivating their giftings and their calling, because we are called to be dependent on one another, and we're called to go somewhere. And Jake's gonna be talking about that, and Randy, 
next couple weeks of that we are called not just to be a body of Christ that is all into navel-gazing and inward um, and and just being um, an imbalanced church, but that our heart as a body is that we should not only be depending on one another, but we should be going out to a lost world and being the hearts and the hands and feet to those who are dying and encouraging them and and showing them the beauty of a dependent and diverse body. And that's where our unity is cultivated in this diversity and dependence so that the body of Christ can get into this world to be able to see this. And so I just wanna close with Paul's pronouncements and Michael, you can come up. Verse 27 Paul reminds us, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And I just want to spend some time right now um, as we've just heard um, just an incredible story of the body of Christ at work. Um, I just would like us to ponder two points right now. And so wherever you are, however you feel led, and you can close your eyes, you can get on your knees, you can um, just um, be in whatever place you want to be. I'd like us to just kind of think about and, and just reflect on um, these two threats to our unity. Um, first, I want us to think about just is there any ways in which I've resented or refused God's giftings? That somehow I've just resented God for um, the giftings that he's given to me and in a sense pushed away those gifts. And I just want you just to um, spend some time just to praise our God who has therefore composed the body in the way that he's chosen. And if there's any, any repentance or just any struggles in that area, in the way that God has created you, will you just give it up to the Lord right now and spend some time?